things that made me ponder this week. So I've got another collection. I'm not going to do this every week, but right now I'm, I'm being triggered by some thoughts that hopefully will make, it, well, hopefully it will trigger you as well into making you think deeper on certain topics. So I want to share just a couple of them with you. First, I just saw this this morning and threw that in the last second. The goal isn't to get rid of all your negative thoughts, feelings, and life situations. That's impossible. The goal is to change your response to them. Now, the reason this one triggered me is because um, there's been some discussions among people I know, family members and, and others, that there's this toxic negativity or toxic positivity even, where people are over positive and it's always about being positive, stay positive, which is fine, but when it's positive for the sake of just being positive and la 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 la, you know, ignore difficulties, that's unhealthy and unbalanced too. So when I saw this one, ah, that's a really good lens. You know, to, it's our response to these things and how we react. And the more we react the same way, the more that takes root and becomes a habit. And sometimes we need to intentionally change our reactions to how we normally react to create a brand new pattern, probably one that's more life-giving. I thought that was really good. From Henry Nouwen, when Jesus talks about faith, he means, first of all, to trust unreservedly that you are loved so that you can abandon every false way of obtaining it. Two things, faith and love. If we try to attain faith, as in having more faith, and we've talked about this at Hope Fellowship many times, we live by the faith of Jesus, not faith in Jesus. The big difference in Galatians 2.20. King James Bible got it right. But this whole idea of trying to gain love, many people are trying to gain love. They're trying to gain their world relationships through their, their habits and patterns. And yet, when you begin to realize you are loved, that changes your whole perspective and that's what we've been trying to do here for the last number, I'd say the last eight weeks, ten weeks, is begin to talk more about the love of God as the foundation for everything we believe. Because all of our supposed doctrines, which we can argue back and forth all we want, you know, uh, but if, I think it comes down to the love of God. And when we start with the love of God, it's funny how many of those arguments will dissipate and we realize it's not about being more right than the other person. It's about being more loving. Not than the other person, but being more loving as an individual. This one's a tough one. You can't heal the people you love. You can't make choices for them. You can't rescue them. You can promise that they won't journey alone. You can loan them your map, but the trip is theirs. This is a hard one because I have spoken to so many people in the last number of months who are walking through difficulties. Family members, friends are going through difficult circumstances and we love our family members and friends. We want to rescue them. Some of us have more of a rescue mindset, me. You know, I want to fix, I go fix. Certain personalities are fixers. And you can't. That's really hard to pause and rest in. Just let that one hit your soul. I love this one from Jim Palmer. I once dreamed of launching revolutions, sparking movements, mobilizing the masses and changing everything. Now I've learned the beauty and profound significance of simply loving my neighbor. Why did this one hit me? Because I'm a pastor. <laughs> I've been 
well-groomed in churchianity. I've, I've gone to Bible colleges, seminaries. I've gone to all the conferences, the rah-rah, build your church, reach the world, missions for the world, like change the world, be a better leader, and, and all the tools and all that stuff. And it, there's still tons of it out there. And yet, Jim Palmer, who used to pastor one of the largest churches in North America, has come to a journey that, uh, in fact, he's way ahead of me, but I'm on a similar journey of unlearning the fluff that was never real and zooming in to the love of God, letting that permeate our hearts, let that be the thing that comes out of us. I've not perfected it. I'm still learning. But this was big. Not to look at growing anything, not to self-promote. How many people, even on Facebook or in so, on social media, it's all about promoting their stuff, their, I gotta be careful what I say. <laughs> be kind. Um, it's about promoting their small businesses, the sometimes multi-level network marketing, and it's all, they say, hey, wanna have coffee with you? I haven't seen you in 20 years. And suddenly they put out this pamphlet to you. It's like ulterior motive, it's never been authentic. It's about growing your business, growing and letting your name rise to the top. You don't care who you step on, you'll use whatever systems because they're trained to do that. And yet the church has done the same thing and the opposite I think is true. I think it's how we know each other. That's why I like our Grounds and Grace group on Friday mornings. Because we've gotten to know each other. We've taken the time. We waded through all the fluff and even shared our stories. We don't take time to keep harping on the same crisis all the time, because that's not helpful to anyone. But we dig into, out of relationship, we dig into growing together. And I, I think it's probably one of the safest groups I've ever been a part of. So thank you to them. But it's loving your neighbor. And that also means loving your actual neighbors. <laughs> like really, the ones you don't like, the ones that you bump into that to find a, a lens of love? Yeah. Or back in my pastor mindset of grow the church mindset days, I would have said, I'll be nice to this person so I can invite them to church and wait for the right opportunity to invite them to church because that's the goal, grow the church, right? And then once they got there, you kind of leave them, hopefully they'll connect, and who cares? Ah, their numbers, their numbers are up. It's awful. Love was not the motive. Growth was. Jesus did not call us to grow the church. None of us. It's his church. He's called us to bear fruit, not be fruit. <laughs> right? To bear the fruit of love, patience, kindness, goodness. To be the light, to be the love that lives in us already. It's a tough one. It really is. Last one. A friend of mine posted this the other day, and I loved it. A Sufi holy man, who I have no idea what that means, but a Sufi holy man was asked what forgiveness is, and he said, it is the fragrance that flowers give when they are crushed. And I thought, oh. So why did this one trigger me? Well, it's because I was uh, uh, kind of watching the whole Pope stuff going on. The Pope's apologies and listening on the radio to people's opinions on, oh, it was good, and oh, it was terrible, it was not good enough, and all the ranting and raving that happened with that. 
and then uh, had the, the honor of being interviewed by one of the local radio shows, Mike Farwell. Um, I posted it on my Facebook uh, page if you want to go see or le- at least listen to it. And I was able to share about forgiveness from a different lens because I think our culture has a misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. They really do. Um, if you begin in our culture, most people think that forgiveness means letting them off the hook and they're now scot-free. That's not what it means. It can, but that's not what it means. It's, that's so simple and incomplete that it becomes almost wrong as such an incomplete thought. So when this kind of hit and I saw that, forgiveness comes out of the flower already being a life-giving thing and still gives the scent while being crushed. I thought, can we do that when we're being crushed? Can we send a fragrance of love and kindness even when we're being attacked? Huh. That's, anyway, those are the things that triggered me this week. So, living out this grace we keep talking about. How do we do this? How do we do this daily? I want to get into letting go of fear because that's one of the first things we need to do. And Henry Nouwen uh, does a beautiful job here on expressing what it can look like. And you'll see by the time I get through these. He writes, Underneath all our emphasis on successful action, many of us suffer, suffer from a deep-seated low self-esteem. Oh my goodness, how true is that? And so our actions become more an expression of fear than of inner freedom. As we keep our eyes directed at the one who says, do not be afraid, we may slowly let go of our fear. We will learn to live in a world without zealously defending borders. We will be free to see the suffering of other people, free to respond not with defensiveness, but with compassion with peace, with ourselves. Then he goes on to say, radical servanthood does not make sense unless we introduce a new level of understanding and see it as the way to encounter God. To be humble and persecuted cannot be desired unless we find God in humility and persecution. Let me read that again. To be humble and persecuted cannot be desired unless we find God in the humility and persecution. When we begin to see God, the source of all our comfort and consolation, in the center of servanthood, compassion becomes much more than doing good for unfortunate people. Radical servanthood, as the encounter with a compassionate God, takes us beyond the distinctions between wealth and poverty, success and failure, fortune and bad luck, radical servanthood is not an enterprise in which we try to surround ourselves with as much misery as possible, (laughs) but a joyful way of life in which our eyes are opened to the vision of the true God who chose to be revealed in servanthood. The poor are called blessed, not because poverty is good, because there's the kingdom of heaven. The mourners are called blessed, not because mourning is good, but because they shall be comforted. 
Here we are touching the profound spiritual truth that service is an expression of the search for God and not just a desire, desire to bring about individual or social change. Wow. That's a mouthful. That's a lot. You may have to go back and re-listen and re-read that because it's, it's so much. But sorry, that's what rewind is for. You can do it later. <laughs> the point I'm getting out of this, Jesus models for us not just leadership, but really true leadership as a servant. Most leadership goals are to be in charge, to influence, to cause direction, there isn't anything wrong with that, but if that's your goal, that's not the Jesus you're searching for. It just isn't. Can you do it under that? Yes, but when your ulterior motive is to lead, to have power, to have a say, then it's not Jesus. Jesus came to serve. He came, oh, listen to this one. This is gonna be hard, get ready. He came to give up his rights. Try selling that today. <laughs> and it doesn't go over well. But I'm sorry, this is the Jesus who came. He gave up all of his deity um, uh, gifts and powers. He never gave up his deity, but he chose to live out of his humanity, not his deity. He came to live as a man, a human, depending on his heavenly Father, which is how we are to live constantly. So this rights business that we keep hearing about, it's about giving up your rights. That's the direction of the conversation. But loving others. So if you want to find God, it's not in the strong leaders. If you want to find God, go find it in those who are hurting. And you will discover God in a way that a leader usually can never show you. So what's it look like? Here's how Colossians puts it. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. There's a lot here. This is, this is, this is huge because here's what he did. He first began saying, I pray for you guys all the time. Maybe that's a good start. Do you need a kickstart? Do you need a model? Do you need a tutor to help you jumpstart or develop healthy Jesus habits, if you want to call them, then fine, use this. Pray, begin to pray. Look at, look at what to pray for. He's asking that you be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Maybe ask God to fill you with the knowledge of God's will. God, what's your will? Help me understand your will. And you will discover the will of God is not the special diamond hidden somewhere on a beach and Jesus says, good luck, go find it. I might give you some hot, hot. No, now you're getting cold. No, hot, hot. Getting really hot. Oh, now you're really, remember that game? <laughs> That's not what the will of God is. The will of God's a person. It's Jesus. He is the will of God in us already. So we don't have to find the will of God. We have to become aware and awaken to Christ in us that we're loved, 
Forgiven, clean, holy, pure. Now let's live that out. That's God's will for us. It's pretty cool. It's not that complicated, although we've made it complicated. So that we can lead lives worthy and pleasing. Now, keep in mind this idea of pleasing. If you read it the wrong way, you're immediately going to run to this, uh, as Henry Nouwen was talking about, low self-esteem and people feeling not good enough. God does not look at us in that kind of a way. When it talks about pleasing to the Lord, this is more of a um, uh, living from who you already are. That's a delight. But it's not gonna, this is not about, oh, I screwed up and now God is really displeased with me as in my identity, who I really am. God's not displeased with you. There's no way God can be displeased with you. What about my behavior that doesn't match who, who I say I am? That's fine. Let God work that out. But don't you switch that out for your identity. Your behavior is not your true identity. Your behavior just is what you're living out of in your thinking. That, that's all that is. And more and more as our mind is renewed, then our behaviors will change too. It starts there. I love that. So uh, may you grow and uh, bear fruit in every good work. And as you grow in the knowledge of God, I want to keep growing in my knowledge of God. I'm not done. I've, I've done more learning in the last five years than in the last, how many, I've been a pastor for almost 32 years now. Um, I've done more learning depth-wise in the last five years than all the other years. It's, it's mind-boggling. It keeps going. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from where? His glorious power. Oh, guess what? When we pray for strength, we're not praying for new strength. I'm going to go to the gym, God, so give me strength to lift those extra weights. That's not what it's talking about. This is about the strength of Christ in you to walk through being a loving person in all circumstances. It comes from him. That you may be prepared to endure everything with patience. Oh my goodness, patience? What? How many of us have prayed for more patience? I've prayed for more patience many times. But we don't need to pray for more patience. Especially when you realize the full patience of Christ is in you already. You lack nothing. Huh. That you may be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled or called you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. So this idea of being grateful is all part of the journey of growing. When we cease to become thankful, our attention slips to self. My way, my rights, my direction, my beliefs, correcting others, um, control, but when we become back to the heart of who we really are, grateful individuals, then we will see the compassion lived out of us. So don't ever stop being grateful. He has rescued or dragged us out of danger to rescue, to save us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Why is this important? This is a very important verse because we tend to forget the foundations of what Jesus has done for us, to us, and in us. 
He has rescued. We have already been, past tense, rescued from the power of darkness. We've been transferred into his light, into his beloved son, into the kingdom of his beloved son. And we have redemption. We have forgiveness of sins. How many of us beg for God's forgiveness? I, I, I haven't, I don't use those words anymore, per se. I don't say, dear God, please forgive me. I instead pray, thank you for my forgiveness. I'm really sorry for what I did. You know, I didn't mean to do that. That, that was out of my ego, my flesh. I, that was me reacting while not, you know, trusting you. That was a different reaction. It's not who I really am. And I regret that. But thank you for your forgiveness in this. To walk in the acknowledgement of being forgiven is a strange thing in our North American culture. The North American church, you're getting to really strong arguments. That's why Martin Luther was pretty upset with his rant and his theses that he put on the Wittenberg door. He saw all this too. He saw the level of the system of religion taking over. And he demanded and called for freedom in a powerful way. And now today, 400, 500 years later, we're seeing it again. An awakening to the goodness of God. Because religion will stifle it. When I say the word religion, I'm talking about the systems of church that try to control people and force conformity. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the real church. You and I, individuals, those watching, wherever you are, we are the church. There's great value to it. I I get really disheartened when I hear friends of mine and others diss the church and say the church, don't bother going to church anymore, stop all that stuff. Uh, and, And I can see where they're going. I know where their pain is coming from, but that's speaking from wounds, not healing. So to then say and judge others for either going to church or not going to church, if you want, whatever you want to call it, when we do that judging, we're doing an injustice. We're doing something that we have not wrestled through enough. Let people have the freedom to go or not go. That's it. Quit telling people yes or no. Be on your journey and don't put an expectation on someone else. Thessalonians, you want to figure out how to live this grace daily? Right here. Always be joyful. Well, that's going to be hard. My mom tried to practice that, and she had a plastic smile on her face at the weirdest times. She had a big car accident. I'm not kidding. I was in the car. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Mom, you just drove in front of a car. (laughs) On my side. (laughs) I'm not praising the Lord. (laughs) That's not what this is talking about. Being joyful comes from your soul. She meant well, by the way. She really did. She tried everything she was told to try. So there's something powerful about her heart being good there. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. and Be thankful in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances, for those that have a hard time with this. If that's the wording you have to compare to, then do. 
<coughs> it says, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. There it is again. You want to know the will of God? The very thing he talked about earlier? Be thankful. To walk in thanksgiving. Joyful is not the same thing as happy. Happy most often is associated with our circumstances, for happenings, the things that are happening. We can be happy. Joy and happiness can look the same on the outside. But joy is almost an internal, um, what's the right word? There's a contentment, that's the word. Joy can come from a deep contentment of not needing anything more and knowing the full presence of Christ is in you and you can live out of that joy. Ephesians 5 says, so be careful how you live, not as fools, but as those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but try to understand what the Lord wants you to do. This is, this is interesting, because people will take this and pour it into our culture today and apply it based on what that says to who it was written to and forget there is some value to this. So when it says be careful how you live, it means even today we need to be careful how we live. There are consequences. God's not going to get you for faulty direction, but there are consequences to your choices, to everybody. You do 180 kilometers an hour around a sharp curve on a dirt road, the consequence is you're not going to make that curve. And you may meet Jesus really quick, you know. But it's not a punishment. It's that sin, that mistake, that choice that is the consequence. Make, every, make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. Is your antenna even up to see about doing good? Do you see someone in need and not even see them anymore? Or is your heart softened enough to, be, to see and be compassionate to others? That's an interesting place. And the busier you are, the busier your mind is, <clears throat> it takes one to know one, then the less we see the needs of others. When we have crisis in our own lives, there's a self-centeredness that hits us when crisis hits. And that's okay for a time. But if you stay there, you become even more self-centered and don't see the needs of others. We're called to see the needs of others. And then don't act thoughtlessly. Thoughtlessly? <laughs> Listen, some people don't even think from what I see. It looks like they don't even think. I mean, it's almost like their brain's on pause and they're porting in everybody else's thoughts and never wrestling with it. Not every thought that comes to you is yours. Do you take every thought captive? Do you take every teaching captive? Well, what I've heard lately is people are saying, that's just wrong. They just immediately react to fighting. That's wrong. This is right. I'm right. You're wrong. Here's why you're wrong. And they, they have these interpretation fights. We don't need to have those anymore. It's just not worth it. Don't act thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. The Lord wants you to be thankful, gentle, kind. Ephesians 5, 15, 20 says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. Now, this is an interesting phrase. Many have taken this to mean, well, there you go. See, the Bible says clearly drinking is wrong. No, it does not say that. You can chill. Wine's great. 
Jesus turned water into wine, not grape juice, just so you know. But when it says, don't be drunk with wine, and then it says, instead let the Holy Spirit fill you and control you, the word, it says, some translations use the word control, but the word of let the Holy Spirit control you is, remember, what is a spirit? The Holy Spirit. When you go to a liquor store, what are, what's a section of alcohols? You call them spirits, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yes, good. See, you're all nodding now. So the spirits, when those fill you, it controls you, and you do loopy things, right? If you have too much, that is. In the same way, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. That's where our reliance needs to be, not on ulterior or, or external vices that we want to escape, you used to escape. Listen, this stuff can be used for great celebration and should be. But here the re- reference is referring to let the Holy Spirit guide and control you. Then you will sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. This is a... <laughs> That one's a little bit funny to me because I usually don't hear people singing songs one to another. It's just weird to me. And yet, I've experienced different times when music starts to play, people begin to sing, or whether it's a church setting, campfire setting, however it happens, once in a while there's this draw in and beauty to the music. People connect and listen and sing, and yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty neat. I think it, there's room for that. Just because I may find it strange, there are other people who find it amazing and look forward to it. Anyway, I love that. And you will always give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. A bit of a pattern here of giving thanks. I think this is something we need to ponder. This is something we need to maybe ask the Holy Spirit. Do I thank you much? Like, am I a thankful person? It's worth asking. It's personal. It's for you only. Don't be helping your spouse or friend out, okay? Don't tell them what they're like. It never goes over well. Colossians 3. Make a, oh, here it is. <laughs> Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Maybe we should put that on a big poster somewhere, like really big Make allowance for each other's faults. Do we do that? Or do we want everybody to do that for us? Well, yes, of course. We want everybody to understand that's not what I meant and we want to be understood. But then do we do that for others that are reacting to us? Are we taking time to hear them, to hear their heart? This is probably the most powerful wake-up call this morning right there. Make allowance. In advance, not on the spot, because on the spot, our reactions are sometimes awful. So maybe we can find a way to prepare in advance how we're going to react and begin to practice that. That, to me, is Jesus living out through us. I love that. Forgive anyone who offends you. There's a lot of offended people out there today. (laughs) Like a lot. We're not to live like that. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Past tense, you've been forgiven. I did a whole series on that, so that could cause a lot of questions. 
and I'll, I'll probably do a, a mini summary series in the future again on that, because we tend to forget those details. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. There it is. Which binds us all together in perfect harmony. No, that's not the Coke commercial song. Remember that old one? I like to buy the world a Coke. Okay, anyway. Above all. Above all. Why would he say that? Because he's making a huge emphasis on what matters the most, the foundation. Even though it's above all, it's also the foundation. Clothe yourselves with love. Put on the love of Christ. If you have to, in your mind, put on a cloak and just kind of put it on, and this is the love of Christ, and you just close your eyes, and you, you kind of think through that, fine. I used to do that with the spiritual armor from Ephesians. I don't know if you remember those, you know, the armor of God and the helmet of truth. And so I would, you know, because we were taught this in youth group, put on the helmet and put on the breastplate, and put on the belt and the shoes and all. We, we did that because we, you know, but those are not things to technically put on. Those are actually things that are part of us already and we acknowledge them. But the idea of clothe yourselves with love Remember, you are cloaked already in the love of Christ. It's unnatural for you to not be loving. So be who you really are then, which is a person of love, a person who forgives, a person who's grateful, a generous person. These are the things that you already are. Now be who you are. Jesus lives in you and he wants out. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always, oh, there it is again. Come on, stop the thankfulness. It's getting a little over to the top. It says, always be thankful. My goodness, come on, Paul. (sighs) There's a reason. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives or be controlled. That's what the word fill means. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms, there it is again. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful heart, hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him, through God the Father. Whew. Oh, Rainy, I see your note, James 5, 16, 20. I don't have time to look that up right away. But if you copy... I won't even be able to read your note, but Rainey writes um, James 5, 16 to 20, so you can look that up later. I'll look that up as well, obviously connecting it to what we're talking about here. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart in Colossians 4, 2. Philippians 4, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. There it is again, this praying business, thanking stuff. My goodness. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Can we do that? Or are we spending most of our time crabbing and, I won't use that word, um, complaining? (laughs) Or we complain to God about all that isn't right. Why me? How come? Why did you let me do this? What did I do to deserve this? All those phrases. Stop those phrases. That's not your true identity. That's darkness that you don't live in. Give thanks for all he's done. That means you have to look back and Maybe take stock of all God has done. Elizabeth does that a lot. Half of her stories are what God has done. God's faithfulness. 
Sure, she rants here and there. But the thankfulness is... (laughs) The thankfulness is the theme of her heart. I'm teasing you now. (laughs) And then it says this, then you will what? Experience God's peace, which exceeds anything. By the way, in order to experience it, it has to be there. It's already there. I want to experience the peace. I want to experience the love of God. I want to experience the forgiveness of God. I want to experience the patience of God. It's in me already. So God, I don't need more of it. Help me realize it's already in me. And be gentle with me, God, as I try to practice this out. And when you tap, tap, tap me on the shoulder, you go, no. Uh, Thanks. Just be nice to me, you know, as I sort this out. That's always been my prayer since I was a kid. Be gentle with me. Help me change, dear God, but please be gentle. You know how sensitive I am. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. You mean there's things we don't understand? Aha, no way. I can just Google it, and then I understand it, right? No. Our church culture today is about knowing it all. I'm going to beg to differ. I'm going to beg you to embrace mystery. To surrender the sin of certainty, as some have said. This is not about being certain. I used to be quite certain, even in grace. I was quite certain. This is right. They're wrong. This is grace. That's legalism. Like, I was, I was right. Until even that. I was like, oh, man. Unloving. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Jesus. With that line right there, I want to leave this with you. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Jesus. You don't have to get that peace. His peace that is already in you will guard your hearts and minds. Let it. Don't try to escape and live in this fantasy of confusion and worry and doubt and figure things out for God and be over-concerned. Live in that peace instead. Give up the need to be in control. Heavenly Father, will you please wake us up to your love in us? Will you reveal, make us aware, first of all, of your presence in us? Can you remind us of our complete forgiveness that you've already given us and provided? Can you show us that we are completely righteous, right standing with you already? Can you remind us we are already holy because Christ is in us and we are one with Christ? And will you make us aware of your peace in us already? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.